You are locked in to Locked On Badgers on a Tuesday morning as the Badgers get ready to face the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We're getting you ready all week here at Locked On Badgers, joined by Ben Kenny. My name is Asher Lowe. You can find Locked On Badgers wherever you get your podcasts, Monday through Friday, Apple, Google, Spotify. Follow us on Spotify. Hit that subscribe button on Apple. If you are on Apple, scroll down, drop a review, and let us know that you enjoyed the latest Locked On Badgers. Find us on Twitter for all updates on special guests, episodes, and more at Locked On Badgers at ALOW underscore 33 and at Ben Z. Kenny on the Twitterverse. Ben, today we are talking Notre Dame, but we're specifically talking Notre Dame's two games that we individually watched and analyzed, the Florida State game in week one and the Purdue game that just took place where Notre Dame looked pretty solid against a, a Boilermaker team that had looked good coming into that one. Uh, the Fighting Irish winning by two scores and then, of course, beating Florida State in week one in a wild one where Jack Cohn got Notre Dame out to a 17-point lead at one point. The Fighting Irish looked they were going to run away with it. And then the storylines came in, Ben. Mackenzie Milton returned. That was a crazy game. The Fighting Irish defense looked vulnerable. We're going to talk about all that. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about things from a Wisconsin perspective. And in terms of what we are worried about for the Badgers heading into Notre Dame after watching the Fighting Irish, but also just from a purely Wisconsin point of view, where are the Badgers going to have issues? Or where are we worried about them having issues on Saturday? All that and more, Ben, on today's episode. Who doesn't want to wake up early for kickoffs? I don't want to wake up early for kickoffs. Uh, but I will some say... Someone call that soft. Some would call it, I want the hype and the buildup of the day. But soft does um, have a nicer ring to it than hype and buildup of the day. But I still think the, the point stands that I like to have the day build as it goes, the Camp Randall atmosphere build as it mm. goes. It's a beautiful thing when you finally get to that, you know, climactic moment of 6, 7 p.m. and you've been going for eight hours. I even forgot to mention that night games don't allow you to get home to watch the Pac-12, which you care about more anyway. So They don't. Fresno State UCLA started at 9.30 <laughs> p.m. That's and true. went till 1 a.m. Come on. In fact, I roll right into the Pac-12. I might not get my nap, <laughs> but I roll right in to that Pac-12 after maybe even a little Hawaii. Asher needs his nap. A little Mountain West action, a little Hawaii action. Yeah, they were a money cover this weekend. Uh, they, they were a money cover this weekend against, I believe, San Jose State. If yeah. Mind, uh, serves me correctly. Was that your uh, save, the, save the weekend kind of play right there? Late night Hawaii action? No, I don't bet. My friends were just talking about it, and I agreed. Uh, things we are worried about for Wisconsin, Ben. I did a little piece on this. Today, you did a piece on this yesterday talking about Notre Dame's defense, specifically one piece of Notre Dame's defense that we're definitely going to get into. Uh, but where are your overall levels of concern at right now on a scale from one to 10 heading into Saturday? The team as a whole? Team as a whole. Just what, from Wisconsin's point of view. On a scale, like, like what would constitute 10? Are we talking and, like last year's game against Iowa? Yeah, yeah. 10 means 10 means. This is this is falling apart. Like post Indiana game last year. Oh, my concern is at like a like a three, maybe a three and a half, because team wide, I am not concerned. I'm actually confident, and I think the narrative would be a lot different had they had taken care of easy things against Penn State, as I've said since that game happened. And Penn State continues to prove to be better and better. Uh, but there is obviously a little bit of concern just because they haven't thrown. They're one of I think four teams in the country, Asher, that has not thrown a passing touchdown this year. Like, yeah, they like to run the ball, but I, I'll, I'll find those teams. I saw that tweet today, but I like I am concerned because like they've shown that they cannot score touchdowns at a good rate. 
And while I think it'll change, there is like some small amount of concern there. So it's a three. And if we're talking numbers, five out of 10 so far in the red zone, in terms of scoring on those 10 trips, they've only scored five times, 50%. That is not going to get it done. That's any points, people. That's not touchdowns. That's any points coming out of those red zone trips. If the Badgers win, though, Ben, at the line on both sides in the trenches, I think the red zone kind of takes care of itself. Because like we've been talking about, will handoffs really be an issue? All right, Mertz, Mertz throwing in the red zone. I will amend that. You are right. At Mertz throwing in the red zone is the biggest issue I see for this Wisconsin team, especially, Ben, in terms of playing from behind. And it's the way that Paul Christ has played for years and years and years, as I talked about last week a little bit. The way that Wisconsin wants to play, as we all know, being Badger fans, is you want to have literally 45 minutes of the ball of the 60. Like, you want around in the 40s of time of possession, you want to dominate that stat. Not realistic against all teams you're playing, but you want to dominate that stat. You want to play turnover-free football. You want to run first and pass later. And you want a defense that's going to lock things down. The issue with all that being said, with a time of possession dominant style, with a run-first style, is if you're down 14-7 in a fourth quarter, which, by the way, that's, I believe, exactly what Wisconsin was down in the Penn State game in that fourth quarter early, you're going to struggle mightily. They cut it to 14. Uh, no, sorry. They were down. Uh, it was 10 to 7. No, I think they were up 10 7. I don't know. Up, no, they went up 10 7, went down 14 10. That was what it was. Uh, went 16, up 10 7, went down 16 10. Then I don't know how we got to 16. Never mind. Uh, we don't know the score clearly. But they missed the extra Wisconsin point. Down. Wisconsin needed a touchdown late in that game twice. Couldn't get it. Needed to move fast. Needed that touchdown twice. Couldn't get it. How many times did we see last year, Ben? Graham Mertz running over to the sideline in crucial situations with Wisconsin down in football games and having to get a call in from the sideline that took about 40 extra seconds. Survey says every single time, aside from the times when Chase Wolf was in the game. So I'm personally really worried about the start of this game, the first half, and Wisconsin finding themselves not in a, not in a, a ridiculous hole, but in a 7-10 to 10 point hole at some point in the second, third quarter. That's, that's the situation I think Wisconsin – essentially can't find themselves in. If Notre Dame find them, finds themselves in that situation, then I think they have a better chance to come back from it, but it still puts Wisconsin in the absolute driver's seat where they can take eight minutes off the clock and not worry about it up 10, say, in the third quarter. By the way, Asher, those four teams that are yet to throw a passing touchdown yet, Wisconsin is one, ULM is one. I don't even know what school that is. Indiana Monroe. Sure. Uh, UNLV and Navy. Those are the four. For reference, Navy SMU. Doesn't count. Navy doesn't even count. Whatever. They really don't pass. I'm just naming a stat out of context, but SMU does have 16 touchdown passes in three quarters. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Ben, Ben, you're wrong, though. We did throw a passing touchdown. Three games. Wisconsin did throw a pass. Chase Wolf threw a passing touchdown. Chase Wolf did throw a passing touchdown, except it was to the wrong team. You oh. are correct. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I thought, I thought that count as one, but I guess not. But it, in terms of what you're saying, I agree. That does concern me but it is not the greatest of my concerns because I don't see them getting down big early. And even if they get I down, either. I don't need no, no, but even if they do the times where that does concern me is late in the fourth quarter or maybe late in the second quarter. But if you're talking like mid second or, or mid third, pretty much a, a time in the game where Wisconsin still has a time to operate like their type of drive. It doesn't concern me because this team has shown an ability to move the ball in those settings. Even if they're down 10 points midway through the third quarter, I'm confident that they have a, a stop on defense and a drive in their offense 
to get back. It's when they're down four and they need a two to three minute drive. Like, like you're right. I just don't see that. I, I don't think it'll play out until it's crunch time. Ben, do you see similarities between Penn State's Jaquan Brisker and Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety? Well, this is where I wanted to go. I see similarities between Penn State and Notre Dame as a whole. Notre Dame, Notre Dame to me. Those two guys. Notre Dame to me is kind of Penn State junior. They have, I like, I I would say a little above junior. That's a little harsh, but. Well, look at their offensive side of the football. Sean Clifford at this point has been playing a little bit better than Jack Cohn, and he's proved to be a a little bit better of a quarterback. And I I could say that. I'm the biggest Cohn guy in the world. He has been a little inconsistent. I'm a pretty big Clifford guy as well. But I I think he's proven all you need to see against some of the nation's best defenses. Penn State offense, they have Noah Kane. Notre Dame has Kyron Williams, who is one of the best backs in the country. And we've seen the big playability against Purdue. He had a crazy like Marshawn Lynch type run. They have the weapons on the outside. Uh, Penn State doesn't really have like the stud tight end, but Matthew Mayer on Notre Dame is that guy. And then you go to the defensive side of the football, and Notre Dame has a beast up front in Myron Tagiovola Amosa. I think I crushed can you, that. Can you say that three more times, please? Myron Tag Tagovailoa Amosa. Two more? No, okay, you're good. Keep going. And they have a Jaquan Brisker level game wrecker in Kyle Hamilton. And uh, uh, the focus in terms of where you concerned for Wisconsin's offense, it's Kyle Hamilton, and and he is first and foremost. Because he can wreck any play. He is literally everywhere. His range is insane. His his tackling ability, playmaking ability. And we saw what Jaquan Brisker was able to do against Wisconsin when it mattered. And that's the type of player Kyle Hamilton is. Ben, we saw what Kyle Hamilton can do against a Big Ten team. We just saw it. He had one of the best games of his career against Purdue. The reigning Walter Camp defensive player of the week. He completely changed that game. Career high 10 tackles a pair of pass breakups, a huge interception, Ben. He was everywhere. Everywhere. And I, going back to the Penn State versus Notre Dame, the last thing is that Notre Dame found their success in the big play against Purdue. Cohen had a couple long ones, some of which were just the wide receiver beating guys. And then Kyron Williams just went absolutely crazy and ran through everybody. That's what we saw Penn State do against Wisconsin, and that's how they won. So I just see similarities just like team-wide as a whole. Uh and then there are obviously differences in the approach and stuff. But yeah, I like Kyle Hamilton frightens me and like on, on every level, because if, if you take him out and somehow Mertz is able to connect with Jake Ferguson like that, they could find success. But if, if Kyle Hamilton is within any range of a wide receiver, I am scared. And the crazy thing is if Mertz wants to take a shot, which, which we've seen him try to do last week, Hamilton will be there when you think he's way out of the play. So I, I, am, I am petrified of what he'll be able to do against Mertz. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Where do you have... 
your concerns left with this team outside of what we've talked about with Kyle Hamilton. Yes. For Notre Dame, a stud on defense. We've talked about the red zone issues and that's been talked about. I feel like as much as we can possibly talk about it, right? Like how, how much can we talk about some handoff issues and, and all that anymore? What other areas of concern do you have heading in? So I believe it or not, Asher, I am not overly concerned about what Jack Cohn is going to be able to do in this game. Why is that? Because it, well, it has nothing to do with Jack Cohn. It has everything to do with Jim Leonard and how familiar he is with him and how we've seen Leonard shut down quarterbacks like him in the past. The guys that have been able to find a lot of success against Leonard are your Justin Fields of the world. So while I'm not overly concerned about Cohn, the curveball here is Tyler Buckner. They're freshmen who they bring in on different packages. It's not Cone ever getting benched. It's Buckner coming oh, oh, in yeah, yeah. Bet, for an option Buckner, play. Make sure, make sure we know that when Buckner comes in, it doesn't mean that Jackie Heisman's getting benched, guys. We just want to make that very clear. It never does. It's like Mertz going to the sideline so Chase Wolf can throw a deep ball and a double coverage to Devin Chandler. Burn. <laughs> anyway, Buckner, 10 oh, carries on the year. Going on. None. That was, a per- that was a perfect moment right there to add in the – no sideshow going on. Yeah, I'm just not not in the studio. Whatever. <laughs> but Asher Buckner has 10 carries on the year, 92 yards. He is he's a threat with his legs, and that's just a curveball that makes it tough to game plan because you, you obviously you know what the threat is when he comes in. But I like if you dedicate all your time to stopping the guy who will be there most of the game, it, it's like your Taysom Hill concept, where then a guy can just come in and make a play. So that frightens me. And then also just the big play. Like, as I, as I mentioned earlier, Kyron Williams can take it to the house in a second. Avery Davis can get over the top. Like, Notre Dame has the athletes and the quarterback uh, to connect on big plays. Yeah, I talked about that, too, over at Badgers Wire, Ben, just talking about that the secondary did give up some big plays. And we've talked about the big plays they gave up, where they came from. And I don't think this will be a thing where, like we were talking about earlier, Wisconsin's corners, Wisconsin's safeties are – overmatched by Penn State's wide receivers by any means, but miscommunications are always an issue for any team. I mean, it, it can happen. And when it happens, it only has to happen like twice for this game to essentially be changed completely. Yeah. And that'll Cone, ruin Cone can deliver. Cone can deliver a better deep ball than people give him credit for. I know you, he, I know you know that he does throw an absolutely gorgeous deep ball. Uh, but, but plays like that can ruin a great upfront defensive performance by the linebackers and by the front. And we saw it against Penn State. This game is like going in. I, I had so much less confidence about Wisconsin beating Penn State than I do Notre Dame. But the I, I would say the approach and the overall outline is very similar to me on both sides of the football. I think I think the approach is definitely similar. I think that the quarterbacks are relatively similar in some ways too. Uh, I also think that, like you said, the safeties. We were talking about the safeties, but both the focal points of their individual defense. The secondary in general, I'd say, are, are the defensive focal points and the points that I'd feel strongest about for Penn State and Notre Dame, respectively. And I think that for the Badgers, it, it doesn't necessarily bode badly that Notre Dame is in the Penn State mold because that was a very winnable football game. Like Wisconsin did a lot of things that if you check the box, you'd want well, they were better to than them. Off. And Asher, you know, the big difference is Notre, Dame's, Notre Dame has an absolute turnstile at left tackle. And the left tackle position is one you've talked about a lot, giving us some alarmist headlines uh, over at Badgers Wire. But you're totally right about it because one position on the offensive line with how good Wisconsin's defensive line has looked, Ben, and how good Wisconsin is against the run. And all of a sudden, if one position is questionable on that line, you're not running on this team. Well, their right tackle isn't that good either. Their interior is fine, but 
like Purdue, Purdue was able to find success against Cone because they were pressuring him for a good amount of the first half. And like Cone was able to deliver some balls, but we know how his accuracy wavers when he consistently is pressured. So they were able to disrupt his rhythm and find success. That's why it was a ball game until Notre Dame broke off those huge touchdowns. Yeah, it was. It was. Let's talk about Notre Dame and what you've seen from them, what you saw from them against Purdue, what I saw from them against Florida State. We both saw from them, I guess, over the first few weeks, because this is not a 3-0 record that I'd write home about. It is not an impressive 3-0 start by any stretch of the imagination, but they've gotten wins. They've found ways. Toledo, Jack Cohn comes in, throws a winning touchdown pass with a dislocated finger that he pops back into place. Florida State, Mackenzie Milton comes in for Florida State and sends that game to overtime. What a story it was. And then the Notre Dame defense did its job in OT. Purdue, they looked pretty solid against Purdue. Definitely the most impressive win of the three. Still was a pretty close game. Still came down to the fourth quarter. But that's a good Purdue football team. That's not a great Purdue football team, but it's a good one. Notre Dame still didn't look completely physically dominant against them. So I can't say I was blown away by anything they did against the Boilermakers. Three unimpressive wins by my estimation. Yes, and I they took care of business, and you can't take that away from them, but I agree. I, I said yesterday why I'm impressed with Michigan is that they are winning so easily against the teams they're supposed to win easily against. Notre Dame, I mean, all of those were close, close contests, even though the Purdue sh- uh, score doesn't really show it. But I one thing they do have going for them, and we saw this against Toledo, we saw it against Florida State especially, and we kind of saw it against Purdue, is that when you have – an upperclassman back there that's been around the block at back there, a quarterback that is, that has been around the block and has proven to win a lot of football games. You're, you're often in a good spot going down the stretch, which we've seen screw Wisconsin uh, in week one. Yeah, we, we have seen that screw Wisconsin, especially in week one, as you said, in the red zone at the end of that game. I think that you're right about Michigan, by the way, I didn't even think about that comparison, but they have taken care of business easily. Like they played a Washington team, right? And they physically dominated them up front at the line of scrimmage. We haven't seen Notre Dame do that to one team this year. No. Florida State is bad, Ben, with a capital bad. Yes. They might win two games this year. They are Uh bad. And Notre Dame almost lost that football game. Yeah. Yeah. And and where did Florida State find a lot of their success, Asher, especially early? It was on the ground when they were and and they had some some absolute athletes and that's pretty uh, big plays too. Com- big plays, like like huge plays, huge plays. Yeah, it's common for a Florida team to have a lot of athletes, but they were able to run the ball well and connect on big plays. One thing that that obviously bodes well for Wisconsin is they're going to run the ball as good as anybody. But Notre Dame is susceptible to that home run play that we saw the Badgers hit against Eastern Michigan. But that's also because Eastern Michigan is just bad. But Notre yeah, Dame does have some talent up up on the defensive line. Myron Tagovailoa, uh, Amosa. You you just love saying that name. Though. Bang. Well, he's a stud. Eight tackles in three say games. Bang after saying Tagovailoa. Pause. 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 Amosa. That yeah. Whatever. All right. We'll get it next time. Yeah. I'll, real, I'll give you a real bang once once you actually hit it correctly. All right. Cheers. Well, hopefully I'm not really saying his name much after the game this weekend. But two and a half sacks, three and a half tackles for loss, a forced fumble. He was a force against Purdue. So that's a name to watch up front. But I, yeah, from what we saw against Florida State, I didn't really watch that much of the Toledo game because it was on freaking Peacock and no one has Peacock. 
But uh, Purdue as well, but not much as Florida State. But yeah, they are susceptible to running, susceptible to the big play. Purdue, I kind of credit that to Xander Horvath being down and then entering the game with a question at running back. You bring up Peacock, and I'm sure listeners will feel this as well, gives me some real dark memories of the Olympics this year and just trying to find ways to actually watch the Olympics. Oh, I don't really watch the Olympics, but once Notre Dame football came in, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm sure some people listening watch the Olympics, and it was a an absolute... It was bad? It was a disaster. They put well, USA basketball games only on Peacock, but there were no other basketball games on Peacock. Huh. And then I didn't know how to watch other basketball games. But only U.S. men's were on Peacock, and that was the only place you could watch them was Peacock. And there was basically no other live Olympic coverage on that whole website besides U.S. men's basketball. Yeah, and- people like wondered why Olympic ratings sucked. And I, I mean, I'm speaking on my own behalf as well. It's like I couldn't figure out how to watch anything. You mean it wasn't politics? All right, <laughs> not going to go there. But yeah, I couldn't figure out how to watch anything either. It was an absolute disaster. And Notre Dame football heading to Peacock, not the best, not the best. But you do you, Notre Dame, with your... Big, big NBC contract that you've had before it feels like ever. Mike Tirico, though, the legend. Respect Mike sure. Tirico. Um, I want to talk about the Notre Dame offense because I like we know the tale of the tape. Graham Mertz going up against the Notre Dame defense. Watch out for Kyle Hamilton. Pray Wisconsin can actually score in the red zone. It's the Notre Dame offense that's going to have a big impact on the outcome of this game. Because if they succeed at all levels, if Kyron Williams gets going, and Cohn's able to connect on easy routes to Matthew Mayer, his wide receivers, and all that, then like, like then this will be a very competitive game. If Wisconsin's able to shut them down like they did Penn State, take away the three big gaffes, then that's when Wisconsin wins handily. So like, it's a really interesting offense to me. It, and it, I don't want to say it looks similar to Wisconsin, but the concept stays. They want to feed Kyron Williams a lot. They want to get cone into easy third and five third and four situations which we know he's been good at throughout his career and then matthew mayer's a beast at tight end avery davis is scary on the outside and they like they work all sides of the field but it's really an offense that could be could mirror wisconsin's in a lot of ways where if you shut down kyron williams keep jack cone to third and 11 they're gonna have a really tough time moving the chains how much does Jim Leonard's familiarity with Cone mean on Saturday? Because I think it means a ton, personally. I think it means a lot. I Flip side, I saw Brian Kelly say this today, that he didn't go ask Jack Cone for like all of the signals and like all the stuff from Wisconsin because he doesn't really believe in that. So there's also the flip side of, of Jack Cone as like the spy knowing Wisconsin side. But I don't know if Brian Kelly like went to him and said, hey, give me all their secrets because he, he said that's not really in the nature of the game. I saw that from his press conference, but the honorable Brian Kelly more so just knowing what he's really good at and what he's bad at than maybe smaller tendencies like in baseball when you're like, Oh yeah, if a pitcher does this, it's a tell. I don't think it's that. I think it's, we know what he's really good at. We're going to take that away and force him to make the throws that we know he can make, but is not consistent with because we saw him have some bad misses against Purdue we also saw him connect on some big plays. And we'll see if Wisconsin can take away uh, a lot of what Jack Cohn wants to do on Saturday. The familiarity, we'll see if it helps. I think it will. Uh, we all know the 11 a.m. start time doesn't help anybody, but, hey, it'll be, it'll be a good time. Big noon kickoff, college game day. Cannot wait. Game day? Yeah, college game day and kickoff. You remember college game day from freshman year? Oh, I do. I, I can tell you a story not. about that, not on so this podcast. I. Okay, I can tell one on the podcast. All right, go. 
So I participated, Ben, in the ESPN2 College Game Day Madison Cornhole Challenge. <laughs> so Which I, some people call bags, by the way. I don't get that. Okay. Where do they do that? If do they do that here? Bags challenge? Fine. They don't no, 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 no. I'm a cornhole guy. Yeah. They don't, I don't I know why people call it bags. Wisconsin. I hope I'm not yeah. wrong on this. We, but we'll have to do it in our DMs if we're wrong on this one. Uh, really mad about our, about our out-of-stateness. If we if we get this one wrong, our, our it is cornhole. High, high tuition we have to pay, but cornhole challenge in ESPN two. It was a blast. Played with my friend Scott Cedarberg, who you you actually know. And Scott, <laughs> and I, Scott and I ran into a buzzsaw in the first round, and we got absolutely smoked in round one. So how could it have been yet, a blast? Didn't even get past the first round. I think we yeah, but at least like you could have just gone to the game six in the first round. Yeah, at least you could have just gone to the game at that point because it had kicked off at eleven instead oh, of. Oh no, this 8 was a, this was a Friday event on Baskin oh. Hill. This was a this was a Friday pregame event on Baskin Hill where they were recording like college football live or something that they do. They do a yeah. different show from the the site every week, and they were doing that show. And in the background, they would just like flip to us for the B roll coming out. <laughs> I was like playing cornhole. I think the championship cornhole matchup was like on ESPN too. And Scott and I can't say we were close, but we got in the tournament at least. All right. Now that's good. I have, a, I have an ESPN college game day cornhole challenge shirt. So that, that was, that was a, huge, oh, it's a good shirt. That was a huge win. That was one of the best shirts I've ever gotten at Wisconsin. Um, I, Asher, there's something I hinted at earlier that I just want to hammer home because I, if there was one thing I saw watching Purdue and, and n- not to go fully back on the tracks, but left tackle Tosh Baker, I, I think he started that game before uh, Michael Carmody started a previous game. He was getting crushed. And, and it crushed in the run, crushed in the pass. And that was Karloftis, who they were chipping a lot. But it was also the other guys. And then also right tackle Josh Lug. Like, I, I was just watching that game, my biggest takeaway of all, because a lot of the other stuff we already knew from just knowing Notre Dame's team. My biggest takeaway was like, man, Nick Herbig and Noah Burks and pretty much every pass rusher is going to have an absolute field day with those tackles. Yeah, they. I think they absolutely are. And I think that, we haven't talked about Leo Chanel much yet. Oh, and yeah. Leo is making his Wisconsin debut on that defense, allegedly. I mean, it's still – everything's planning for him to play right now, but – I think Paul Chris said that he's good to go today. He, no, he, he is good to go, like, as far as we know, but we can't jinx anything. But he is going to be making his Wisconsin debut, barring anything weird happening. His 2021 debut. 2021 Wisconsin debut this Saturday after, of course, serving uh, the, the COVID time – uh, out for the first two games, tough scenes, but yeah, he's back. He's good to go. He's ready to roll, man. I, I like, we know what Jim Leonard loves to do with inside linebackers. And we saw it a lot last year when he had Chanel and Sanborn on the field together, the way that they played off each other against wake forest. I remember so vividly Sanborn would come down. He wouldn't even try to rush the passer. He would eat up like three offensive linemen on his way. Chanel and his quickness, like quickly around the edge. He's in the backfield in a second. I can't wait to see those guys get back to work together because Mike Mascalunas played well the first two weeks. Um, I was really pleased with how he played week one, but I, I mean, Chanel is just that like other level of, of talent at linebacker. The one, two, the best one, two in the big 10 that we say, and that many others say, no, it's not a hot take. Leo Chanel, Jack Sanborn, the one, two at linebacker, Wisconsin gets them back together for the first time since last season. It's going to be a dominant defense, Ben. 
They're going to they're going to make big plays. They're going to force some turnovers. I have full faith in that. Graham Mertz, like this is a moment for him. It's a real. This moment. is oh, this it's is a, this is. It's the a first big time big time moment. I would argue I Penn State was the biggest game he played in his career. The biggest game of his career. This will take the cake as the biggest, just hype wise. Penn State was more important. Um, man, I'm excited. I I, I, I can't wait. I wish I could have. I wish I could have gotten down to Chicago for it, but I'm watching this game in Los Angeles at a watch party with the Badgers LA. So I'll be I'll be live tweeting. Don't worry, I'll be live live posting. Yeah, you'll be up early. We got a we got a Culver City watch party out here in Los Angeles. A bunch of former Badger alums. If you're around, uh, I'll let you know the details later in the week. If you are an LA listener or a West Coast listener, I'll let you know the details later in the week. But should be a lot of fun. We're gonna we're gonna get after it with uh, the Wisconsin alums here. I will be on my couch with a couple of spotted cows, a.k.a. the yingling of the Midwest. The yingling and just, of the just Midwest. soaking it in. All right. You and you and Penn State Wire can go talk about that uh, a different time. But we will be back later this week to talk all things Wisconsin, Penn State, game predictions, previews. And of course, Notre Dame. Thursday, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, yingling, <laughs> had, had my brain, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. Nick Shipkowski of Fighting Irish Wire will join us on Thursday, Ben, probably on Thursday, but he will join us at some point this week. Excited for that. Get a little crossover action going with a Notre Dame insider and talk all things Wisconsin and fighting Irish, not Penn State. Forget Penn State. Jack Cohn, Graham Mertz, the storylines are endless. As always, on Wisconsin, see you later this week.